Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. On this episode, I will introduce you to Yvette McCoy, board-certified swallowing specialist and veteran private practitioner who shares her journey to private practice, including how she set herself apart and how she started with a small practice, seeing people in their homes or even churches, to having a large brick-and-mortar private practice with five SLPs, an ENT, two surgeons, and an audiologist. As you're listening, I want you to pay special attention to anything Yvette says that you see in yourself. Think about what in her story resonates with you. Okay, let's dive in. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high-quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners and these are our stories. It's so nice to finally like meet you face to face like this. Yeah, it is. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to get to know you a little bit and also to have you um, just share your story with people. I think that this is a, a wonderful platform to be able to just kind of share, you know, how you got started, what things are like now and what your plans are for the future. Well, I thank you for inviting me. I mean, I'm just so thrilled to be here. No one really has ever asked me about my story. So it's exciting for me to be able to share it. I really never had, and this is probably going to be surprising to a lot of people, but I never had these grandiose ideas about having my own private practice. I was very content. I started off as a young clinical fellow in a rehab unit at Evanston Hospital in Evanston, Illinois, um, which, you know, is a Northwestern University Hospital affiliate. And so I was quite content to just work there and be there and do my inpatient rehab thing. And I married a Marine and ended up traveling all over. Not many people know that I was a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. And when I was staying at home, I participated in all these moms groups, you know, the story times and all of that. And some someone knew that I was a speech pathologist and she told someone else 
whose child needs services. And so they asked me if I would see their child. And I said, no, I am not interested. And she begged. And I said, okay. (laughs) And so I started seeing her child privately. We kept going with her child for probably about six months. And then it became a little bit cumbersome for her, her to pay, to continue to pay. So I said, well, let me figure out how I can become a provider for your insurance. And then maybe we can get them to pay. Well, that was the biggest mistake ever. Because once you become a provider for insurance, you know, you know this, you're on their list of preferred providers. So in, in, let's see, this all started in October of 2005 is when I started seeing this little kiddo privately. By January of 2006, I had so much business that I needed to hire someone to help me. So that's like six months. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I had no, you know, this is not something that I, like I said, I had this great desire to do. But what, what I found is that there was a huge need in the community. Um, so I live in a very rural community about an hour and a half south of Washington, D.C. And there were no private practices that were dedicated solely to seeing children, you know, infants through adolescence. Mm-hmm. Or not necessarily infants, but you know what I mean, infants and toddlers up through adolescence. Like we always say that we see kids from the cradle to the grave. Uh, we see folks, not just kids, we see folks from the cradle to the grave. So as I began to kind of see more people and recognize that there was this huge need in our community because really the only place that kids could go for services were the the public schools and parents were getting frustrated because, you know, their children weren't receiving an IEP or they didn't qualify for services, but they still felt like something was kind of off. And so I think it was then that I realized, okay, I kind of found a niche here. And I am an adult therapist. I've never worked with children exclusively. So right out of college, I worked um, in Chicago public schools and quickly found that, you know, working with kids just was not for me. I didn't enjoy it at all. But there was this need. And so I did. And I was fine until the autistic kids came and all the children with special needs. I could do, you know, language and early intervention and artic and But then when these complex kiddos started, then I realized I couldn't do it. So I had to hire more people. Well, and that's perfect, right? I think it's good to realize what our own clinical interests are as well as what they aren't. Sure. And, And if you have a need and you have people who need to be seen, either you can send them to another place, another private practice, or you can hire for that specialty, which is not your own, but, but there, there's a need. So that sounds like that's just what you did. That is exactly what happened. I quickly realized that I just could not do it. Not only could I not do it, I didn't really want to do it. But there was a need and I didn't want to let down the people in our community. So um, because really the only other options were Kennedy Krieger way up in Baltimore, Children's National in Washington, D.C. And I thought, why should the people in our community have to travel that far? So I hired more folks. and. That was great. But then I thought, okay, who's seeing adults in private practice down here? And there was no one. It was, I was the first private practice in our town to see adults. I am still the only one that sees adults within 
a 75 mile radius in private practice. So I really found my niche there. And um, so I see right now our practice sees little folks, like I said, from infants and toddlers all the way up to 80, 90 year old folks. And with even within the specialization of seeing adults, I, I found an even greater niche in that there was no one treating dysphagia in private practice. So, I mean, if you know anything about me, you know how passionate I am about dysphagia. I do. So I was just, what a need. That's great. What a need, right? And I thought, this is crazy that no one has seen these patients. So I earned my board certification about five years ago. And after that, I really started marketing to physicians saying, you know, you need to send your people who are having trouble swallowing to me. You really need to do that. And quite often people will ask me why I, why did I get the board certification in swallowing? Because it didn't make me any smarter. It didn't make me any more knowledgeable in swallowing. But what it did do for me is it gave me credibility when I went to speak to these doctors and even with the community. You know, people love to hear that board certified in something. And so that is the reason that I earned my board certification because I was in private practice and I didn't have the big Johns Hopkins University of Maryland behind my name. I was just little old Yvette trying to do a good work (laughs) for the people in, in my community. And so that having the board certification really did help to establish that credibility. Well, and I think that's something that, you know, people say that they want doctors and specialists to refer to them. But I think that, you know, they want to refer, specialists want to refer to other specialists, right? We do. And we so do. by you, by you earning your certification, like that's, that was, that was a very smart move on your part to give yourself that leg up, you know, to be able to compete with the bigger hospitals. Cause that's another thing people say mm-hmm. like, well, how can, mm-hmm. how can I compete with these big hospital chains? It's like, well, you, you can, you just have to find a way to differentiate yourself. And becoming a board certified swallowing specialist is a great way to do it. Yeah, and that's not the only way to do it, though. But I think you're right when you suggest that we ha- you have to find a way to set yourself apart. And I did a talk at ASHA about this, finding your niche in private practice and sort of thinking outside of the box. Because what you want in private pra- practice is every time a physician needs something for dysphagia or swallowing or swallowing disorders, I want to be the first name that that pops up in their mind. And so in order to be that first name that pops up into their mind, I have to get them on board with me and help them to um, see how I can benefit their practice and we can work together collaboratively for the well-being of our patients. And I think Once you do, and I've said this before, that I didn't really advertise a whole lot. Once you do a good job for one physician, that's really all it takes. They won't send their patients anywhere else. And in a small community where, you know, like the one that I live in, word of mouth gets around. And somehow people started talking. And before I knew it, I had so many adult referrals that I couldn't keep up just myself. And so then I had to hire someone else who could also see adults. So the practice has evolved. It started as me, just myself, 
seeing people in their homes and their churches, you know, wherever we could find a spot to now being in a complete brick and mortar building with an ENT and two surgeons and an audiologist. So we're all in one building. And, and this is kind of how it's evolved since 2005. Wow. So in 15 years, you've gone from, you used the words earlier, little old Yvette or whatever. Yes. <laughs> to <laughs> Hello, me. Little that to this wonderful service for your community that really seems to be full service in lots of ways, right? If you have multiple clinicians, ENTs, audiologists, surgeons, that's incredible. Yep. And I think it's really funny when I think about this, because when I first started my dysphagia niche, you know, I really wanted to partner with an ENT. So the particular ENT that we share the building with now, I remember she was the first ENT that I went to, and she was the first hard no. She said, I am not interested in fees. I don't care about what you do. I don't speech pathologist. She had had such a bad experience um, with some local speech pathologists that she was just done with us. And she said, no, no, and no, and no. She kept saying no. I persisted. And eventually, I ended up in the same building with her. And when I tell you that she and I have worked so well together and she has sent me so many patients and we've helped so many patients get better. And it's just funny. And we kind of laugh about it now. I'm like, you know, I know you you have to remember that I was the girl that you kept saying no to. She says, of course, she doesn't. But I know she has to remember. So, but anyway, your persistence paid off, right? You persistence too, right? You have, have to have had a ton of persistence over the years, not only with, with that particular physician, but with, with yourself and with all kinds of people. Well, and you know, for me, I am a mom first. And so I found it and I love our profession. So I found it really challenging to be able to balance the two. And sometimes those hard no's that I would get, I would want to quit and say, it's just not worth it. You know, I'm just going to focus on my kids. And I think you have to believe not only in your abilities as a clinician, but you also have to believe in yourself as a business person. And I think that is really a hard thing for um, those of us just starting in private practice to really wrap our brains around because we don't get any business training or anything like that. And so if this doctor's telling me, no, there must be a good reason why, you know, and you begin to doubt yourself. But after a while, I began to think about it and I just thought, you know, every no I get is going to bring me closer to a yes at some point. Somebody's going to have to say yes soon. And they did. And they did. And, and look at you now. So, so, so how many SLPs do you have working for you currently? One, two, three, four. Okay. And myself. So that's five of us. And, and I had an SLPA who, whom I adored, but she's so fantastic. She got accepted into grad school. So she's left us and went to grad school, but she's phenomenal. And she should be in grad school. She should be a speech pathologist. But losing her was a big, we felt that loss. She was kind well, of maybe our... she'll come back. Oh, I don't know. No, she probably won't. I mean, she may. Who knows? But who knows? so I have four 
including myself. So that's five of us. And I, I have um, one full-time office manager and one part-time front desk person. One, one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, needing to believe in yourself, not only as a clinician, but as a business owner. What are some lessons maybe that you've learned over the mm-hmm. years about how to run a business successfully? Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned about running a business successfully is that you have to be willing to accept the fact that there are highs and lows and that they're not always going to be consistent highs. There are going to be some pretty consistent lows as well, and that there's an ebb and flow in private practice and that there will be times when you have more business than you know what to do with. And there will be times when you want to question why you even started this whole process. But I think knowing that and and really being aware of the ebb and flow and that, that when there's a low point, it doesn't mean that you are failing. So I think that me because I I took the low points as me not doing something well enough. So I must not be doing something because I don't have anybody coming through the doors right now, or I've got all these people canceling. Maybe they're not happy with my services. So I think that was, that's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned that I have to recognize that there's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. Um, there's going to be good weeks and bad weeks and good months and bad months. But all of that can help you, I think, become more confident in the way you structure your business, in the way you manage your business. I really became quite savvy at managing my money because, you know, sometimes you don't get very much. So I think those are some of the biggest lessons I've learned that you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have this, take out this huge loan or, you know, this big, have this big business plan. And, you know, you you don't have to do all of that. I think it's important when you start off to keep your overhead as low as possible. I know that there are many people that feel like they need to go out and get an office space and hire an office manager and all of that. And that will get you in, in debt and in the red quicker than anything else. So I always tell people that when I started, I, my husband gave me a budget to buy testing materials and a few supplies. And that's all I had. And I started, I got in my car and I had a three-year-old and I drove to people's houses and he was part of my therapy sometimes, but I did not, it, I didn't have a brick and mortar building of my own until probably um, 2005, probably 2015, 10, 2010, 2010. Right. So five years of going to people's homes, you mentioned earlier, seeing people in churches, seeing people kind of wherever you could to keep that overhead low as you were building your business, building your name for yourself and, and starting to generate those referrals. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing that I, and even from that, I didn't go straight to my own. So my husband knew a gentleman who had his own, he was a contractor for the Navy and he had a a building 
And he asked if, if it would, as, as I got more and more clients, it was hard for me to, you know, kind of travel all around. I was, it was getting difficult. And so he asked, you know, would you mind letting my wife just kind of on an as needed basis, rent a space, just a room from you in your office building. And he did. And for, we started off on an as needed basis, but it was, it became easier to just do it. Um, It was just a room and he would charge me $75 a month to use this room and I could use his internet and his fax machine and his copy machine. And that was perfect. It was perfect. And so I did that for about a year and a half. And then I, then I needed a waiting room, (laughs) you know, then I needed a building or, you know, at least an office space. Not necessarily, we have a building now, but, but I needed at least an office space. Yes. Well, I think that you're, you're really wise to point out the humble beginnings that people can come from, because I, I get people all the time who say, well, I can't afford to start a private practice. I don't have thousands of dollars sitting around. And I, I asked them, well, what makes you think that you need thousands of dollars? You don't. You don't. <laughs> yeah. Right? You don't. Which I challenge people, what does a private practice look like to you? What is it? I ask people that when they talk to me about private practice. What does a successful practice look like to you? Because what it looks like at the beginning may not at all look like what it's going to be 15 years from now. If someone would have told me 15 years ago that you'd be in your own building with an ENT, an audiologist, two surgeons, and you would be doing your own instrumental exams, and you would have four therapists, and you're seeing kids, seeing folks from infancy to old age, I would say you're, you're bonkers. There's no way that could happen because that would take way more money than I have. Um, if you start off slow and keep your overhead low and buy only what you need as you go, you'll be surprised about at how much you can accomplish with very, very little. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's important. So everyone listening, you can start really on a shoestring budget, right? Yes. You have, you know, there's almost no businesses you could ever start like we can, right? All of the knowledge right. we have in our brains from graduate school, from our clinical fellowship, from our, you know, years of practice before you get into this, you know, you have all of that. And, yes. you know, some people want to get assessments right away and that's fine. You can maybe get like yes. one or two. Um, one or two. I, I got two. I got a language assessment and an art ticket. I mean, I think you need those, yeah. obviously, but you don't have to buy a lot of therapy materials. Speech pathologists, we're very innovative. We, we are. know how to make games out of file folders. Exactly. So people can start off, you know, debt free, right? You're yes. relatively debt free. And Absolutely. then use, use that money coming in to reinvest in your business right? And start to also, you know, pay yourself a bit too, right? I think that, you know, we, we tend to be this profession who thinks, you know, somehow that, you know, money is negative or that we're, you know, we're just in this to help people. And so we're, we don't care about the money, but, but it's okay to want to use that money to, you know, pay off school loans or, you know, save up for your wedding or your kid's college or all those kind of other things. But you can't do that unless you have money coming in. Right. So Absolutely. I that, that's why Yvette and I are telling you lovely listeners 
that it's a really important, especially in the beginning, but really the whole time, but to be, to be, have positive cash flow and have money coming Absolutely. in and decide what to do with. I, I, you hit the nail on the head right there. And I also think it's important to start to use this time to kind of start building your brand, building what you want your uh, brand to be and what you want your specific practice to look like. Because you want to stand out from the crowd. I mean, you you are going to want, in order to be successful, you want to look different than the practice down the road. And now, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't collaborate with the practice down the road. Because I have, there's one private practice that's very close to me. She's about 13 miles away. And she refers people to me because she doesn't do any dysphagia, adults are swelling. I refer people to her because sometimes we just cannot do the sensory things with these autistic kids that maybe that she has a little bit more experience with. And so I think that it's important to start building your brand, seeing what kind of practice you want to have, find your niche, um, and don't necessarily be in competition with the, the therapists surrounding you, but just be different. Do something that's a little bit different so that you can work together. It's been, I, I've had a lot of success that way. Well, and you're smart to be thinking about that from the beginning, right? I, I usually tell yes. people just like you to in the beginning, work with anyone you feel comfortable and confident and competent to work with. Yes. And eventually you can niche down later but in the beginning, you really want to be building, you know, confidence and some income and some in your caseload. And then you can start to specialize as you go on, which it sounds like that's what you did too. Yes. And I didn't specialize until five years ago. So it was 10 years before I decided that, okay, I'm going to have a, a specialized niche private practice. I'm going to do only dysphagia and that's what I do. But to go into, I think to go into building a practice thinking I'm going to only do this, maybe you may be setting yourself up for failure because we are generalists. And I think that in order to establish yourself, you have to see a little bit of everything. Once you've established yourself, then I think you have the ability to then um, or, or maybe the credibility, I should say, to establish yourself as a specialist or have this niche private practice. The one thing that I did, and I, I didn't mention this, is I partnered with an occupational therapist about six years ago. Because what hap- we, we were in the same office building and we were side by side. And she would send patients to me and I'd send patients to her. And we thought, why are we both paying this ginormous rent and we're seeing the exact same patients? So what what we did was we merged our practices. So we're still two completely separate entities, but we share the same building, which helped to cut down on lots of costs. And it is another service that we provide to the community because now the patients can come to one place and they can not only get speech therapy and occupational therapy, but she has now hired physical therapists. So you can come to our building and get all three therapies at once. You can go downstairs and see the ENT if we think there's a problem. If you need a hearing test, the audiologist is on the other side of the building. So it's one-stop shopping. 
But it took me a while to sort of figure out that collaborate, and this is so, I'm a collaborative person by nature, but we, we are kind of trained to think that when you're in private practice, it's a competition. And I had to get out of that mindset. I had to realize that I can collaborate with others and even other speech pathologists in private practice, like I was saying earlier, but other disciplines and well as well, and just really make this something unique. And that's what we've done. Well, and you've talked a lot about your desire to serve your community, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what a wonderful way to serve them, to not only have them not have to travel up to Baltimore or DC, but to be able to travel to one building and make that work for whatever their their therapy needs is, is also just such a gift to them. And how wonderful that you've been able to make this work with a variety of different clinicians, you know, both people who work for you and then people who you mentioned are, you know, you're sharing the building space or whatever. I think that that's really, really a wonderful service and a wonderful model for other people who might want to, you know, somehow be able to offer services, but like, but not under their own entity. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. I think that... It took me a while to evolve into that kind of thinking because, like I said, I I was thinking before, oh, this is a competition. I got to do my own thing and I can't tell anybody what I'm doing. I can't. I got to be over here in this corner all by myself. But I quickly learned that that's not the way to do business. And we live in a military community as well. And I, my husband's a former Marine. I have a heart for um, our military and for veterans. And I just thought, you know, if I have to live in this place, because let me tell you, it was hard for me to, uh, I'm a city girl. Uh So to come down here and live in the country was really hard. But I thought if I'm going to live down here, I should really be able to serve my community and provide the best care, especially to our servicemen and women, because look what they do for us every day, every single day. The least we can do is provide them with good care as well. So yeah. I love that. I can talk about that for a long time, but I won't. Well, but I, I think that, that too, you're, you're thinking about, you know, lots of different people in your community, right? Like, you know, you mentioned being the first private practice to serve adults and how that was something that really set you apart. And then, you know, making sure that you're taking care of the military families near where you live. I, I think that that's also just a wonderful way to, you know, to honor their sacrifice and, um, and hard work and everything else. So that's great. Yeah, they do so much for us. And as a former military wife, also, I just don't think that people realize the sacrifices that, that our military members make, not only them, but goodness gracious, their families. And it just, I, I feel an ob- it's an obligation to me. It's my duty. I have to be able to give back in some way. And so I'm, I am grateful and thankful that we have the ability to be able to offer our services to help, you know, to help, I mean, without sounding like a commercial, but to to really help those who put their lives on the lines for us every day, every day. Yeah. Just giving them one less thing to think about, where's my child going to get therapy or where's my husband who had a stroke going to get therapy, right? Well, where's my husband who's suffering from PTSD going to get therapy? Um, or, oh, and the, the big thing that we see so much is that their husbands, these wives, moms, their husbands are deployed 
and they're they're juggling it all by themselves. And so it's one less drive to DC or to Baltimore for them when they can just go around the corner and get the same care that they would get further up the road. That's wonderful. So so what are your plans for the next couple of years, right? You're going on on year um, 15, right? If I remember the math properly. 16, 2005. So what oh, is that? I started yeah. in 2005. It's 2020. So yeah, 15, right? 15, so, yeah. 15 years. So, so what is your plan for the next couple of years, would you say? I have no idea. I've learned not to make plans. I have learned that we just kind of go slow. And when a need arises, if we can address it, we will. One thing that is new for me this year, and I'm so very excited about it, is I garnered a contract with a nursing home to do their in-house fees. Yeah, so that is just something that I've really wanted to do for a long time. But getting contracts is not an easy thing to do. So I'm really excited about that. I guess, you know, I would love to expand the dysphagia side of my practice a little bit more. I'm content. I'm happy. I'm busy. Um, But if we get any busier, (laughs) I'm going to have, I really am going to have to hire someone else. I mean, so I have myself and a half of a person. She works part-time, but so I don't know, maybe that, but honestly, I don't, I, like I said, I don't make plans. I just go with the flow and wherever, you know, this path leads us, then that's where we'll be. I love that. I'm just, I'm open to anything and everything. Yeah. I think it's also so comforting for me as like a type B SLP (laughs) to think, to hear other, uh, other speech therapists who don't have like all of the plans figured out for forever. Right. Because I feel like a lot of people really are really big planners and have all of these plans. And um, the last couple of episodes I've recorded, people have said something similar to you. Like, I have something I'm excited about, and I'm excited about that. Um, But other than that, I'm just going to see where the wind takes me and, like, you know, where I'm called to serve. And I think that that's a really great way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I never would have thought that I'd be on this path that I'm on. So to be able to just kind of take it as it comes. And like you said, be able to serve. I just want to do good work. I love being a speech pathologist. I don't know what on earth I would be doing if I were, I mean, maybe a nightclub singer in a lounge or something, but (laughs) if I were a speech pathologist, I really don't know what on earth, you know, I think, I'm very fortunate. I feel like some people go through their whole life trying to figure out what on earth they're supposed to do. I can, I can say with certainty, this is what I'm supposed to do. I love that. So do you have any advice for people who are, other than the advice we've already talked about, you've shared quite a lot of advice, but um, for beginners who are just getting started or just thinking about private practice, what would you tell them? I would say to do the thing that you think you can't do. Do that. The one thing you think you can't do, the one thing you think is an impossibility, do that. I love that. I think that that's something we tend to kind of shy away from those kind of things, right? And think, well, that's too hard. How How can little old me do that? And yet, a lot of us have have faced challenges that we've found ways to overcome, right? Because you can, if you have not just the desire, but the you, you keep working at it. It takes, 
you know, it's more than just desire. You got to work really hard for it too, but but you can achieve what you're, what you want in life. Yeah. And you've got to let go of the negative self-talk. You've got to let go of the the voices in your head telling you that's too hard or you can't do it or, oh, they had so much money or, oh, she's got so much experience or, oh, 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 you got to get rid of those voices. Change the dialogue. I love that. That's wonderful words of wisdom for people listening who maybe have agreed with the part about, you know, getting started debt-free and, you know, working up and niching down. But I think that that getting rid of the negative self-talk and the the mindset piece is what really is going to move people forward over the years. And it sounds like that's clearly been a contributor in your success. Yes. And you can't wait for people to tell you that you have a good idea. You can't wait for people to tell you that you can succeed. You've got to believe it yourself. You got to believe it because if you wait for people to tell you that you're, you can do a great job, or if you wait for somebody to tell you that was a great idea, you'll be waiting a long time. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to change the discourse in your mind and believe that you can do it. I love it. There'll be times, you know, in private practice, you don't work, you don't eat. So there will be times when you are chasing your money and there will be times when you will be scratching your head, wondering what on earth I'm thinking. Very early on, I had multiple streams of income doing other things that kind of helped to fill in the blanks for, so maybe you start slow and you do some PRN at the hospital or you do some PRN at a nursing home or you... You know, I don't know what that looks like for you. For me, you know, I w- I'm an adjunct instructor. I, you know, developed an app. You know, you've got to do things that have, that work for you when you're not, <laughs> when that income's not flowing. So what, whatever multiple streams of income may look like for you, I think that's important to consider when things get slow. Absolutely. Um, any other final words of wisdom, parting thoughts, things you had wished you, that you had said, but we didn't get to? I'm sure once we hang up, I'll think <laughs> of something. But no, I, I can't think of anything that is that stands out that I, that I feel like we haven't discussed. I just want people to know that you are the biggest obstacle to your success. And you've got to get out of your own way. And once you get out of your own way, you'll be surprised at what you can accomplish. What a perfect place to end our interview. Thank you so much, Yvette, for doing this. Tell tell the listeners, where can they learn about you, either online or social media, or where can they find out more about you? Um, You can go to my website. It's info at speakwellsolutions.com, or you can check out my LinkedIn profile. Yeah, I'm busy but I'm all over. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It was great fun. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is, Business skills can be learned, and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time, and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training, 
specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I want to teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com, click start or grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.